Okay, well, please turn with me in your Bibles to Corinthians chapter 11. First Corinthians chapter 11, and we'll begin reading in verse 1, and today we'll focus on verses 11 and 12, but we'll read verses uh, 1 to 16. First Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 1, there the word of Christ says this, be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold firmly to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. Every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head, but every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head, for she is one and the same as the woman whose head is shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, let her also have her hair cut off. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to have his head covered, since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. For man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. For indeed, man was not created for the woman's sake, but woman for the man's sake. Therefore, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. However, In the Lord, neither is the woman independent of the man, nor is the man independent of woman. For as the woman originates from the man, so also the man has his birth through the woman, and all things originate from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him, but if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering." But if one is inclined to be contentious, we have no other practice, nor have the churches of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. And Lord, we pray that today you would teach us, Lord, how it is that you have created mankind as both male and female. Lord, how it is that you have created, Lord, these two sexes in order that we might be dependent upon one another. Lord, that The woman is not independent of the man, nor is the man independent of the woman. But, Lord, we are two parts of one whole. Lord, that make up, Lord, the very nucleus of the family. And so, Lord, we pray that you would teach us, Lord, to to love one another. Lord, to see the benefit we have one to the other. Lord, that there might be affection and love, Lord, in our homes. And that, Lord, we might fulfill our roles, Lord, seeing that we're doing so not merely for our own sake, but, Lord, for also the benefit of our spouse. So, Lord, teach us today from your word, and, Lord, may we humbly submit to it, and it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. All right, well, we're in this passage where we've been teaching uh, concerning the proper roles and adornment of men and women in the church. And here the apostle, we remember, began by addressing the issue of authority. Right? Christ is the head of every man, that man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. Right? In terms of authority, the man is to exercise authority over the woman, and the woman is to submit to the man there in the home. The distinction of position is manifested outwardly through the symbolic wearing of the head covering. Right? The man and the woman show the different positions granted by Christ. The man by praying and prophesying with his head uncovered, while the woman is to pray and prophesy with her head covered. 
right? And he said it is shameful for a man to pray and prophesy with his head covered because in doing so, he's behaving like a woman. And it is shameful for a woman to pray or prophesy with her head uncovered for in doing so, she is casting off submission and behaving like a man. Last week, we saw another reason for the man to be uncovered and the woman to be covered. Man is the image and glory of God, while woman is the glory of man. In terms of creation, the order, the source, the purpose of creation, God made a distinction between the man and the woman. Though, of course, both the man and the woman were created by God, and though both the man and the woman bore the image of God, yet God did not create the man and the woman in the same way, at the same time, with the same purpose. The man was created first. The man did not originate from the woman, but the woman did originate from the man. And the man was not created for the woman's sake, but she was created for the sake of the man. And because of this, the apostle asserts that the woman is the glory of man. Man is the glory of God. The woman is the glory of man. And since the worship of God is supposed to promote the glory of God, then that which displays God's glory should be seen. This is one of the reasons why the man should be uncovered. And then that which displays man's glory should be concealed. And this is another reason for why the woman should be covered. So for this reason then, the woman, he says, ought to have a symbol of authority on her head. The head covering is a symbol of what should be true of all Christian women in the heart. The hidden person of the heart, a gentle, quiet spirit of a godly woman. The symbol with a corresponding virtue. That's what we want, right? Those two together are very beneficial and useful. The symbol without the virtue is worthless. It's useless and it is hypocrisy. Then last week we finished with one final reason for the need for the man to be uncovered and the woman to wear the symbol of authority, and that is because of the angels, right? When we gather for worship, the holy angels of God are witnessing our assembly. They observe what we do, the way that we order ourselves and the way that we conduct ourselves. And if it is shameful for a man to pray with his head covered, and if it is shameful for a woman to pray with her head uncovered, then we don't want the angels to be witness to that which is shameful and brings reproach. So then his conclusion is that the men and women should adorn themselves properly when we gather together for worship. That's where we finished last week. Now this week, we're going to pick up in verse 11. Verse 11, verse 11 and 12, serve as a check upon the things that he's been saying, right? A further clarification of these issues. Verse 11 says, However, in the Lord, neither is woman independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. Again, verses 11 and 12 I think, are serving a twofold purpose, both to be a check upon the man, that he might not treat his wife with contempt as some second-class, second-rate, useless creature that he can do without, right? That he doesn't need her, right? She needs him, but he doesn't need her. So it's teaching that that is not the case at all. Also, it is doing this to lift up the countenance of the woman, that she might not be dissatisfied with her position of submission, right? That being in a position of submission does not mean that the wife is useless. It does not mean that she's not needful. She's very needful for the sake and benefit of the man. So the man needs the woman and the woman needs the man. 
though it is true and has been clearly taught that the man is the head of a woman, right? That the man is to exercise authority over the wife, that the wife is to be in subjection to her husband, right? He has clearly taught these truths throughout this passage. In terms of position, in terms of authority, the man has the superior position to the woman. The man is in the superior position. The woman is in the inferior position. And this is without any refutation. This is very clearly laid out in the distinction between the man and the woman. And this is seen both in the creation account of Scripture, and it's also true just looking at nature, looking at the world, these truths are obvious. We know from Genesis chapter 1 and 2 that the man was created first, that the man did not originate from the woman, but the woman did originate from the man. We know that the man was not created for the woman's sake, but the woman was created to supply and to fill, to meet the need of the man. That it was not good, God said, for the man to be alone, and he made a helper who was suitable for him. So the doctrine of creation, as laid out in Genesis 1 and 2, clearly teaches this order, right? This position of the man, this distinction between the man and the woman. Now also, as a side note, this is one of the reasons why the doctrine of creation is so important, so essential. Right? Isn't creation the first doctrine we're taught in the Bible? Right? At the very beginning, we have the doctrine of creation. And there are many implications of this. One of those implications is the order of the home, is the distinction between men and women. Right? And if you take away the doctrine of creation, do you not lose all these distinctions? Everything that the apostle has taught is contingent upon the literal historical interpretation of Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And this is why it's so important that we contend for the doctrine of creation. Any so-called Christian, so-called Christian pastor, so-called Christian scholar that does away with the creation account that says that Genesis 1 and 2 are not literal, but rather they're just symbolic, they're figurative, they're mythological, they'll say that they're poetic, but it's not talking about the literal way in which God created the world. When people teach these things, it is very evil. It is evil, it is deadly, it is dangerous, and it unravels the whole Bible. The whole Bible falls apart because of this. Even this falls apart because of these things. So the doctrine of creation established in Genesis 1 and 2 from Holy Scripture clearly teaches that there is a distinction between the man and the woman and that the man has the superior position and the woman is to be in submission. Also, this truth is unmistakable by nature. Natural law teaches that there are only two sexes. There are males and females. Even in pagan countries, even in idolatrous nations, they recognize and understand these things. And there is a distinction made in the way that they dress, in the way they conduct themselves, in the tasks that they are given to. There's a difference between the male and the female, a clear distinction between these two. There's only two. There's not hybrids. There's not four or five different kinds of, of people out there. You're either a male 
or you are a female. And only an insane person would deny this, right? And somebody who's out of their mind, who is crazy, deranged, insane, would deny these things. Yet this is the situation we find ourselves today in America. Ideas and concepts that should land a person in a crazy house, an insane asylum, right? The nut house. That's where these people should be, and yet they occupy positions in some of the most venerated institutions in our society. Though Scripture rejects it, and even nature rejects these things. So clearly, without any doubt, there are only two sexes, male and female, man and woman, and the man is over the woman. It is a distinction that gives superiority to the man over the woman in terms of authority. However, though this is true, and though we should recognize this truth, and though we should live according to these truths, this does not mean that man does not need woman. It does not mean that the woman is a leech who needs him. This is not the case. The woman is not a parasite, right, who sucks the man dry while he gets no advantage from her. Quite the contrary. In the Lord, right, in the Lord, according to the Lord, by God's decree, by God's design for mankind, neither is woman independent of man, nor is the man independent of the woman. Thus the two, the man and the woman, right, since they depend upon one another, then shouldn't they live in harmony together? Shouldn't they have love and affection for one another, seeing that the one cannot do without the other? For the man to, to have spite for his wife is to spite himself. For the woman to have contempt for her husband is to have contempt for herself. If the two are separated, right? If the two do not see their mutual dependence one upon the other, then they are like a mutilated body that has been mangled to pieces. This is what the Bible teaches. Matthew chapter 19. Matthew 19, our Lord Jesus Christ taught this when teaching about marriage and divorce. Also, you'll notice here that Jesus believed in the literal interpretation of Genesis 1 and 2. And if it was good enough for him, it's good enough for us, right? Matthew 19, verse 3. says, Some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him and asking him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? He answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Notice that. Created them from the beginning. So the beginning of the world was when? When Adam and Eve were created. Right? They weren't created five billion years after the world was created. But rather, the world and man was created at the beginning. And how did he create them? Male and female. No non-binaries, no amphibians, right? No people who go both ways. Nope, none of that at all. Male and female. And he said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. There, notice, the two become one flesh. 
the man and the woman, the husband and the wife, are no longer two, but one flesh. And if God has joined them together, then let no man separate them. The two are one, one body joined together. And how can the body exist with only half of its members? But wouldn't that be the case if the man and woman were separated? Wouldn't that be the case if they did not depend upon each other? It would be like half a body. How can half a body function properly? It can't. You need the whole body functioning together, and then it can be proper. Then it can be what is good and right. This same argument the apostle makes concerning the man and woman is also true of the church, right? Of the church, right? What is true of the church is true of the marriage, and what is true of the marriage is also true of the church, right? In terms of the church, the relationship between the individual members is likened unto the relationship of the husband and his wife, right? There is a similarity between the two so that what is spoken of one can also be applied to the other. Now let's see this and then we'll make the point. First, Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And verse 22, Ephesians 5, says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of a wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Then he might present to himself the church in all of her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, the man shall leave father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. So there, he's speaking of husbands and wives, but doing so, he's comparing the husband and wife to Christ and the church, right? What the Christ is to the church, so also the husband is to the wife, and this is the way that they are to live one toward another, that they're joined together in the same way that the church is joined together. Okay, then look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And verse 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 says, for even as the body is one, and yet has many members, and all members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we are all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this, for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? 
If the whole body were hearing, where would be the sense of smell? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the hand, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body, which seem to be weaker, are necessary. And those members of the body, which we deem less honorable, and on these we bestow more abundant honor, and our less presentable members because become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor so that, uh, to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now, you are Christ's body, and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. All, all, all are apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healing, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. Here, as it is with the church, so it is with the marriage. Two individual people, two members of one body that are joined together to make up one flesh, right? To make up one whole. The foot cannot say, because I am not a hand, then I am not a part of the body. Though the foot has a lower position, right, in terms of its place on the body, and a less honorable position than does the hand, the foot is still an indispensable member of the body. And without the foot, the body would not be complete. The body would be seriously impaired. So the foot cannot claim to be unimportant. The foot cannot be excluded from the body simply because it is not a hand and has a different position and a different role from the hand. Right? Nor can the hand boast and live as though it does not need the foot. Yes, in terms of honor, the hand has a more honorable position on the body, a very important and useful role. But how is the hand going to get from here to there to pick up and hold uh, objects of value without the foot to carry it to where it needs to go? The same with the eye, the same with the ear, the same with all of the members. Right? In one sense, each member is distinct. The hand is not the foot. The eye is not the ear. These are distinct, separate members of the body, and yet when you put them together, they all make up one whole, one body, all depending one upon each other for the good of the body. The body has distinct members, yet they are dependent. Distinct, but dependent. Distinction does not mean independence, does not mean separation, but in terms of the body, distinctions are dependent on one another. And this is the same as it is in marriage. So, yes, there is a distinction between the man and the woman. A man is not a woman. A woman is not a man. They are two distinct persons, two distinct opposite sexes. But in relation to this distinction... They are dependent on each, on each other. 
The man has the higher position of authority, and we ought to recognize that, and we should live accordingly. But that does not mean that the man does not need the woman, that he can live independent of her, that he can treat her with spite and contempt because he's in authority over her, because she needs him, but he doesn't need her. No man can say that. The man cannot say, because I am a man and not a woman, because I have the position of authority, then I have no need of you, wife. You need me, but I don't need you. No man can say that. That's contrary to what the apostle teaches. And no woman can say, because I am a woman and not a man, because I'm in the position of submission, then I'm second rate, then I'm useless, then I'm second class, and, and I don't have an important role. I'm useless and worthless. No, that's not true at all. That's not what the Holy Apostle says. That's contrary to what the Scripture teaches. Also, the woman can't say, well, yes, I'm a woman, but I'll show him. I'll show him. I'll show that I can do it without him. I can be my own person. I'll be independent. I can do whatever he can do. That's not what the Apostle teaches. The man depends on the woman, and the woman depends on the man. So the man should not look at contempt towards the woman nor should the woman look at contempt towards the man. But rather, both the man and the woman are to honor the opposite sex by seeing the necessity that the one has for the other. This is the Christian way. This is the way of righteousness. This is the way that we should conduct ourselves toward one another. It is the wicked and unbelieving. Those profane persons, they are the ones who despise marriage. They are the ones who despise the opposite sex. Men who don't want to get married because they want to cat around, right? They want to go and live the good life and they don't want to be burdened down and, and lose their freedom. And women who refuse marriage because they don't want anyone over them. They want to live independent. They want to show that they can do whatever a man can. This is not the way of Christ. This is contrary to the scriptures and this is actually the doctrine of demons. It is demonic to forbid marriage to downplay the importance of marriage, and it is not helpful and beneficial and good for either men or women for the society to do these things. 1 Timothy chapter 4, which is what's happening in our own day, there is an assault on marriage. The institution of marriage has been undermined in so many ways. And has that led to the advancement of our society? Is that leading to progression? Are we advancing and progressing and getting better and better? No. It leads to chaos, misery, turmoil, evil, unrighteousness, all sorts of wickedness. And people are utterly miserable when they adopt these principles. 1 Timothy 4 verse 1. The Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars, seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods, which God created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. For it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. There, deceitful spirits, doctrines of demons hypocrisy of liars. So we're talking about false teachers here. We're talking about those who are promoting that which is evil and contrary to the will of God. And what do they do? 
They forbid marriage. Forbidding marriage. Downplaying marriage. Right? Undermining the institution of marriage as it was established by God is not a work of the Spirit of God. It does not lead to the righteousness of God, but rather it is a doctrine of a demon that leads to turmoil, it leads to misery, it leads to evil, and ultimately to the lake of fire. So we shouldn't have that attitude. Right? The righteous, those who have faith, right? those who believe the Word of God, we ought to have the proper view. Righteous men should see and recognize that the male sex is but half of the human race, right? We ought to understand that God created man, both male and female, and acknowledge ourselves to be debtors to the opposite sex, to the woman, that we cannot fulfill God's design for man without a woman. Therefore, a righteous man greatly desires to have a righteous wife, to have a righteous woman. And righteous women, they should see and recognize that the female sex is but half of the human race, that God created them male and female. And they need to see their own deficiencies, their need for a man, that they cannot fulfill God's design for themselves without having a man. So righteous women should greatly desire and pray that God would give them a righteous man. The man is incomplete without the woman, for that would be to have a head without a body. And the woman is incomplete without the man, for that would be to have a body without a head. But when the two come together, you have a head with a body, and everything works together. The two become one flesh, so you have an entire body. The man has what he needs to fulfill the divine appointment, God's mandate given to him, and the woman has what she needs to fulfill the divine appointment, to fulfill God's mandate for her. And in no way should any Christian speak of marriage as anything that is detrimental to the goodness, the happiness of mankind. It is not a ball and chain. It is not slavery. It is not an impediment to our freedom and to our happiness. When a godly man marries a godly woman, it is not evil. That is a good thing. It produces slavery to happiness, but not slavery to evil. It is an impediment to sin, to chaos, to disorder, but not to goodness and to righteousness. Now, of course, if a man marries a nag, or if a woman marries a drunkard or some lazy bum, okay, that's not going to be any good. That might produce some misery in life. But even in those cases, there's still some benefit that the person gets from marriage to another. But in terms of a godly marriage, a Christian marriage, there is great gain and great benefit for both the man and the woman. And this is according to the purpose of God, to the way that God created the world. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Proverbs 18, verse 22. Now, consider in these ways. In what way is man dependent on woman and woman dependent on man? First, how about this? Genesis 1.26. Genesis 1.26. The mandate of creation. How can this be fulfilled? And it's given to both the man and the woman. How can this be fulfilled without each other? Genesis 1.26-28. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. 
and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. How can a man be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth without a woman? How can a woman be fruitful, multiply, and subdue the earth without a man? It's impossible. Men cannot have children. A man cannot have children without a woman. And a woman cannot have children without a man. Did you know that? This is true. Now, I know in our enlightened age that this is very offensive, very peculiar, a very new novel concept to espouse, that men cannot get pregnant, that men cannot bear children. But it's true. Biological males cannot have babies. They cannot get pregnant. They cannot grow a baby in their womb. They cannot deliver a baby into the world. They cannot feed and care for a baby with their body. Men can't do this, but who can? Women can. Only a woman can do this. A biological woman can bear children, but not a man. Now, I say this smirking with a grin on my face because, because even the worthless, the rotten Apple iPhone, you know, they have those emojis. They have a pregnant man one. Did you know that? They have a pregnant man emoji that you can post here and there. People will say today that a man can get pregnant. The geniuses at Harvard, Yale, NYU, wherever you go, they will say, probably the CDC, the WHO, whatever, the NIH, whatever institution there is in the government, will say that a man can get pregnant. Did you know? In England, in England, the British government doctors are required to ask men, not women, men who are getting x-rays or MRI scans, they're required to ask them if they're pregnant before they get the scan. This is literally happening in our world, in the so-called medical community, the so-called scientific community that deals in facts. That, that's what they tell us. That's why I don't trust these people. I don't trust them. And I'm not going to listen to them when they tell us half the population of the world is going to die because of a pandemic that's coming. These people don't even know the difference between a man and a woman. And yet we're supposed to entrust our health, our livelihood. We're supposed to change our lives because of what they tell us to do. Why would we trust anything that they say? They don't even know the difference between a man and a, that a man cannot get pregnant. It can't happen. Now, a woman can pretend to be a man, a sick woman. She might call herself a man. She might identify as a man. But if he gets pregnant, he is not a he. He is a she. Because only women can get pregnant. If he gets pregnant, all he is is a pervert, a perverted woman, a sick, deranged, evil, detestable woman masquerading as a man. Man cannot be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth without a woman, and a woman cannot do this without a man. 
The man needs the woman. He needs to find a godly woman. He needs to marry that godly woman, and then he can fulfill the mandate. Not before he marries her, after he marries her, then he can fulfill the mandate. A woman needs to be found by a man. She needs to marry that man, and then she can fulfill the mandate to be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. Together they can do it. Separate, it is impossible for them to do it. Also, remember Malachi chapter 2. Is it simply that we are going to be fruitful, multiply, and subdue the earth? Is that all God cares about for us in our Christian marriages, in the having, raising of children? Just have children and it doesn't matter how they turn out. No, of course not. What kind of children should we desire? Malachi 2.13. This is another thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping, and with groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, against whom you have dealt treacherously, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. But not one has done so who has a remnant of the Spirit. And what did that one do while he was seeking a godly offspring? Take heed then in your spirit, and let no one deal treacherously against the wife of of your youth. For I hate divorce, says the Lord the God of Israel, and him who covers his garment with wrong, says the Lord of hosts. So take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. Right? The one who has a remnant of the spirit, what is he doing? What is he pursuing in his marriage? What is the woman who has a remnant of the spirit, what is she pursuing? in her marriage, and in the bearing of children. Godly offspring. Not merely offspring, but she and he, both of them, they want godly offspring. Neither the man nor the woman can produce godly offspring for the Lord apart from one another. Because they can't have children without one another. It takes a man and a woman and it is much easier, it is much more conducive to godliness to raise them in a home with both the father and the mother. Isn't that true? That the best home for producing godly offspring is one with a godly father and a godly mother. Isn't that the ideal situation? Now again, it doesn't guarantee that all the children will turn out godly. Nor does it mean that in a broken, dysfunctional home, there might not be a godly person that arises from that. God can do whatever he pleases. But in terms of the means, in terms of the responsibility, in terms of the promises of God and what he expects of us, isn't the best home for producing godly offspring one where there's both a father and a mother, and both of them are engaged both of them are pursuing the things of God both of them are living a righteous and godly life and working together in the raising of their children this is the ideal home for producing godly offspring for producing stable productive children who are a benefit to their family to their church to their society a Christian father and a Christian mother now of course there are times when necessity compels a mother to raise a godly child without the father, right? If there's an accident and the father dies prematurely 
Or if she was an unbeliever and she married an unbeliever and then later she became a Christian and now she's married to an unbeliever, then she just has to make the most of it. Or there may be a situation where a godly father is compelled to raise godly children without a mother, right? Again, maybe she dies or maybe it's the same situation. But the best situation, right, the ideal situation is man and woman together in this endeavor. The man working and the man leading in this and the woman working alongside with him. The man depending on the woman and the woman depending on the man. Even unbelievers, even pagan psychologists admit that children raised in a nuclear home with both a father and a mother, on average, they're more productive in adulthood. They're more successful, right? They have more stability, they have better lives than those that come out of broken homes, right? Even unbelievers recognize and see these things. It's obvious to anyone looking at reality objectively. So how can we produce godly offspring without each other, the man and the woman? What about happiness? What about for happiness in this life? Isn't a man going to be happier if he has a godly wife? Isn't he going to have a reason to get up in the morning and go to work? He's got someone that he's working for to come home to every evening, to spend time with her, enjoying the wife of his youth. Who wants to sit at home at night by themselves when they can have a wife sitting next to them, a lifelong companion? Isn't the home for that man going to be cleaner? Isn't it going to be better? It's going to be more organized? It's going to smell better? It's going to be decorated better? Have you seen men decorate? They're horrible at doing these things. But you bring a woman into the home, and it's a much more pleasurable, it's a much more inviting environment to live in, right? With a wife instead of by themselves or with a, a, another guy or a, a group of guys. I had male roommates in college, four of them. And four male roommates are less than one of Amy, right? There's no comparison. It was much better. They stunk. The house was a mess all the time, right? They couldn't cook. They wouldn't do anything. But then you get a wife. And it's like, this is far superior to having these stinky, slobby roommates. Right? It's much better for our happiness for a man to have a wife and for a wife to have a husband. Right? If a man doesn't have a wife and children, what's he working for? Amen. What's he spending his whole life laboring and toiling for? Who's he going to leave it to? Right? Well, who's it benefiting? Now, of course, a man who doesn't have a wife and children, he ought to work. He ought to work and he ought to be faithful. But even then, many times in that situation, they're working in preparation for the marriage. There is much greater fulfillment in our work knowing that we are working for the benefit of our wife and our children. And isn't the woman going to be happier if she has a godly man? She's not going to be living on her own. Don't women want children as well? Many women, they desire children. They want children. Well, they're going to have children the children that she desires. She's going to have a protector, a provider, right? And again, contrary to popular opinion, did you know that men are stronger than women? They're able to fight off thugs and criminals and robbers more than a woman is? Contrary to what is portrayed in Hollywood and here and there, a 110-pound woman cannot knock out a 220-pound man with one punch. It doesn't happen. Right? What happens if a woman tries to do that to a 220-pound man? It bounces off her like, like she's a fly because she doesn't have the strength 
to defend herself from this man. Women are more vulnerable to being exploited in this way. Wasn't that the case with Ruth? That was in Ruth chapter 2. This is why Boaz told her, don't go to any other field. You stay in my field. You stay by my women and you stay here because you will have protection here with my people. Don't go to another place because there you're going to be vulnerable and you're going to be open to being taken advantage of by thugs and criminals. We have a lot of thugs and criminals running around in our society today. Does a woman want to walk across a dark parking lot by herself, or does she want to walk with a man who's got some bulging muscles on him? She wants a man with her side. Do you want to get onto the subway in Chicago by yourself if you're a woman? Well, one, first, don't go to Chicago, and if you do, don't get on the subway. But hypothetically speaking, if you had to go to Chicago, and if you had to get on the subway as a woman, do you want to get on there by yourself? Wouldn't you rather have a man by your side? Ooh, a man with a gun? Yes, with two guns, his arms and also a gun in each hand. This is what we need. The woman needs the man. He completes her. He gives her what she cannot provide for herself. He provides for her. He protects her. He is a pastor over her. What about overcoming sexual temptation? Isn't this a problem for both men and women? Isn't this rampant in our society? Fornication, immorality, adulteries? Well, what is one of the means God has ordained to help both the man and the woman overcome sexual immorality? 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Verse 1. It says, Now concerning the things about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. But because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife, and each woman is to have her own husband. The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise also the husband does not have authority over his body, but the wife does. Stop depriving one another, except by agreement for a time so that you may devote yourself to prayer and come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But I say this by way of concession, not command. Yes, I wish that all men were even as myself. However, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to widows that it is good for them uh, if they remain even as I am. But if they do not have self-control... Let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So there, because of lack of self-control, it's better to marry than to burn with passion. Right? Marriage is one of the outlets God has given by which to fulfill these desires that lead to hell if they are fulfilled in the wrong way if they are fulfilled outside of the lawful means established by God, right? Satan uses this to tempt us. But here, Satan is not going to be able to tempt them because the man has the woman and the woman has the man. The temptation is going to be lessened, right? It's not going to be as severe as it would have been before. So in all of these ways and many more, it is clear to anyone reading their Bibles or looking at the world 
objectively, that a woman is not independent of a man, and man is not independent of woman. The two, male and female, make up the one race of men, and the two, through marriage, become one flesh, and they need and depend on one another. So men should not look at contempt toward women, and women should not have spite toward the men. Now the proof of this, verse 12. Verse 12 says, For as the woman originates from the man, so also the man has birth through the woman, and all things originate from God. Here is the design, here is the proof that this is true, that this is indeed the case, that the woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. God has designed the race of man so that both sexes, both the male and the female, in one way are dependent for their existence upon the other, right, upon the other. The woman originated from the man. This is what we saw last week from Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Genesis 2, 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason the man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So there, again, it's obvious, she was taken out of the man. She originated from the man. God uses, used the rib of the man, a part of his body, to form the woman. So she is not independent of him, but her creation was dependent, according to the will of God, upon the man. It was through him that she was created. So the man... His creation was not dependent on the woman. He was formed before she existed. He was formed out of the dust. But the woman, according to God's will, he, she was created out of the man. And this is one of the reasons why the man should have authority over the woman. However, in order to foster mutual affection, mutual dependence on one another, it is true that every man who has ever existed in the world with one exception, and that one exception is Adam. Adam is the only exception to this rule. But from Adam onward, after him, every single man who has ever lived in this world was born of who? Was born of a woman. Only Adam was excluded, but everyone after Adam, this is not true of. The man, the male sex, cannot sustain and preserve himself without the aid of a woman, for all men are born of a woman. Even our Lord Jesus Christ, 
according to his incarnation, was born of a woman without the aid of a man, but born of a woman, of a virgin. Galatians 4, verse 4 says, When the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. The incarnation, bringing the Christ into the world. Well, in that regard, who had the more important role? The man or the woman? The woman. The man didn't have any role at all, right? He was born, he was conceived of the Holy Spirit without a human father, but with a human mother, right? He did have, he was born of the woman. Doesn't that give dignity and honor to the female sex, to the woman, that the Christ, the Savior of both men and women, was born of a woman. So every man was born of a woman. The children of every man was born of a woman. The grandchildren of every man is born of a woman. And the Savior of all believing men was born of a woman. So should men see their dependence on women? Absolutely. The man is not independent of the woman. And he ought to have great love, great affection, great appreciation for the woman because of all of these reasons. And he receives great blessings, great benefit, great blessings from God through her that he would not experience, he would not have in this life without her. So he should love her, appreciate her, and exercise his authority in love, not as a tyrant, not as a jerk, not trampling her under his feet, not treating her like a piece of dirt, but treating her as his partner, as his helper, as his aid, as his blessing that brings about more blessings from the Lord. How could he despise his wife seeing of what value and benefit that she is to him? And the woman as well. She ought to love her husband. She should not kick against the goad. She should not subvert his will at every turn. She should not nag him to death, but she should love her husband and offer glad submission to his will, seeing that she originated from the man. In both cases, both the man and the woman, neither would exist without the other. Every single man in this room today was born of a woman, without any exception. All of us were born of a woman. And every single woman sitting in this room today originated from a man without any exception. And God did this on purpose. God designed the creation of mankind in such a way that there is a clear distinction between the man and the woman, but that this distinction does not lead to separation, does not lead to independence, but rather it leads to dependence. Distinct but dependent. And ultimately, he says, all things are from God. All of this is from God. God is the great designer. He is the one who constructed this paradigm. And for us to reject it is to reject the authority of God Almighty. Both man and woman then ought to maintain the condition which God has assigned to each. The man should exercise his authority with love, and not trample his wife under his feet, since she has been given to him as a helper. The woman 
should be content with her position of submission and should not gnash her teeth against her husband because she is the inferior sex. If the man and the woman fail in their duty to one another, ultimately they are resisting God. They are overthrowing and throwing off the yoke of God. And not only do they do harm to themselves, not only do they do harm to their partner, but ultimately they are doing harm against God. They are rebelling against God Almighty. And we shouldn't do that because we're always going to be on the losing end of any war with God. First Peter chapter 3, right? It's the right thing to do. It's the good thing to do and it's the right thing to do. First Peter chapter 3 verse 1. It says, in the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you have become her children, if you do what is right, without being frightened by any fear. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Amen. So there, both the expectation is that the man and the woman see who they are, see what God has created them to do, fulfill their duty one to another, and do it with joy, do it with gladness, do it in submission to the authority of God. And that's going to be better for everyone, right? It's going to be better for the man, it's going to be better for the woman. It's going to be better for the children. It's going to be better for the church. It's going to be better for society. Everyone is going to benefit when the home is ordered properly, rightly, right? When there's a distinction between the man and the woman, but that this distinction does not lead to separation and independence, but rather mutual dependence, love, and affection toward one another. As it says in 1 Corinthians 7, 17, only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each in this manner, let him walk. Right there, he's talking about the marriage state or situation that a person is in, but it also is true of this as well. If you are a man, then live according to what God has called you to do. If you are a woman, live according to what God has called you to do. And he's called each one to separate tasks. But when they work together, it makes up one whole, and it benefits everyone. So then let us live according to the design, the pattern, and according to the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word, and Lord, how it Lord, gives us such clarity. Lord, on things that in our present situation, there is so much confusion. Lord, we have people today who cannot even define the difference between a man and a woman. Lord, something that is so simple, something so obvious. Lord, because of corruption. Lord, because of sin and 
Lord, the denial of you. Lord, people are, are questioning, Lord, even the very distinction between a man and a woman. But Lord, we know that this is all foolishness and it's nonsense. Lord, it's sin and evil and it's contrary to your word and to what you have established in this present world. Lord, you have created both a man and a woman. Lord, at the very beginning, one man for one woman, one woman for one man. Lord, each with distinct roles. Lord, the man created first, the man with a position of superiority. Lord, the woman created to be his helper. Lord, the one who is there to assist him with the inferior position. And yet, Lord, we know that the one cannot live without the other, but that they are dependent one on the other. So, Lord, we pray that we would see and recognize these truths. Lord, that our men would understand that, yes, Lord, they are called to lead their homes, to be in authority over their wife and their children, but that they are not independent of their wife, that they don't need her. But rather, Lord, let us see that, Lord, we get great value and great benefit from our wives. Lord, that we cannot be the men that you have called us to be, Lord, without her. Lord, without the helper that you have given to us. And so, Father, we pray that this would cause us to love our wives. Lord, to exercise the authority, Lord, not in a harsh way. Lord, not as a tyrant, not as a jerk. But, Lord, that we would do it, Lord, with love, with affection, Lord, with tenderness. And that we would be very grateful, Lord, for our wives and the value and the benefit that they have brought to us. Lord, as well, we pray for our wives, Lord, that they would see and understand that you have created them, Lord, not to be over their husband, but to be under, Lord, to help and to assist him, and that, Lord, they also cannot fulfill what you have called them to do without a man. Lord, while this world is telling our women that they can do anything that a man can do, and they can do it better, and that they don't need men for anything, Lord, your word is telling us the contrary. Your word is telling us that the woman is dependent on the man. And so, Lord, we pray that we would not believe the lies of the devil, but rather that we would believe your word, and we pray that our women would believe your word, and that they would see the benefit and value of having a godly husband, and that they would love their husbands, and that they would honor them by submitting to them and doing what is good and right and pleasing in your sight. Lord, as well, we pray for our children, Lord, who we want to grow up, and Lord, we want them to become adults. We want our boys to become men, and we want our girls to become women. And Lord, we want them to be married. Lord, we pray that you would provide godly wives for our young men, and we pray that you would provide godly men for our young women. Lord, that they might enter into Christian marriages, and, Lord, that they might be able to fulfill your mandate, Lord, in this way. So, Father, we pray that you would provide these things, Lord, that we need so desperately. And that you would establish, Lord, in our congregation, Christian homes. Lord, where there is both a godly father and a godly mother who are raising godly children. And that, Lord, you would grant to us this blessing. Lord, that there would be produced 
from this congregation, Lord, generations after generation, Lord, of godly children, of godly grandchildren, of those who fear you and who walk in your ways. Lord, this would be an honor for us. This would be a great blessing for you to bestow upon us. And so, Lord, we ask that you would do it. Lord, that you would give this to us. Lord, for your glory. And Lord, for our sake. And Lord, for the sake of our children and our grandchildren. So, Lord, while we see that this present world, Lord, is spinning out of control and spinning in complete chaos and misery, Lord, we pray that here in your church, Lord, there would be a safe haven. Lord, a a place of sobriety, Lord, of sanity, Lord, of understanding of your will, Lord, understanding the difference between men and women, understanding the distinctions, yet, Lord, the dependence that we have one to another, where husbands and wives are living together in harmony, Lord, seeking to fulfill your role for each one, Lord, to make up one family and to produce godly offspring. So, Lord, grant to us those things that we need, and it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.